Hello everyone, thank you for joining us. We're going to wait another 30 seconds to a minute or so for everyone to join. Hello and thanks for joining us today. We're going to wait another 30 seconds for everyone to log in. Leah? All right, everyone, we're going to get moving. Thank you for joining us today. This is Leah Freeberg from Fluke Reliability. Thanks for joining us for this best practices webinar. You know that many of the measurements our tools collect now flow automatically into EAM systems of record. Uh, it happens via a framework that we call Fluke Connect. Our goal at Fluke Reliability is to better connect asset management data and teams with asset management systems to drive connected knowledge. But of course, that knowledge depends greatly on best practices in condition-based maintenance. So that's why this series of webinars explores reliability maintenance strategies. And that's why we feature speakers from a variety of expert backgrounds. So before the presentation, we have, of course, a few housekeeping items to go over. Today's session is being recorded, so the phone lines will be muted to minimize background noise. We'll save time after the presentation for your questions. If questions come up during the presentation, you are, of course, welcome to use the questions feature on GoToWebinar to submit your comments as we go. Please do. So take a minute now to find the questions tool in the dashboard. At the end of the talk, I'll share as many of your questions as time allows for with our presenter to answer. If we have unanswered questions at the end, then we'll follow up with written answers. If you'd like to receive the slides from today's presentation, please let us know during the survey that will appear at the end of today's session. More on that later. A recording of this webinar will also be available on excelx.com on the website within a day or two. All right, that's it for the housekeeping items and now on to the main event. Today, we are very pleased to have with us Suzanne Greeman, President and Principal Advisor of Greeman Asset Management Solutions. Suzanne will be presenting on why your CFO doesn't like you, six ways to align operations and finance. Such a good topic. Suzanne is the President and Principal Advisor of Greeman Asset Management Solutions based in Winnipeg, Manitoba. A senior asset management consultant and instructor in North America, she is the author of the Risk-Based Asset Criticality Assessment Handbook. Suzanne is an accomplished asset management leader with more than 22 years of experience and has implemented strategies for cement manufacturing, power generation, wastewater treatment, and airport assets. She holds the following certificates, Certified Manager of Quality and Organizational Excellence, Certified Asset Management Assessor, Certified Asset Management Professional, and Certified Maintenance and Reliability Professional. Welcome, Suzanne, and thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much, Leah. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to be here with Fluke Nation once again, and I look forward to breaking down this topic over the next few minutes. Wonderful. I have just a couple of questions for you before we get going, because honestly, I know you hold a lot of trainings, and I know your book has gained quite the following the last two years since it's been out, but can you tell us a little bit more about your company? 
Okay, so we are asset management consultants and advisors. Uh, we focus on physical asset management as opposed to financial asset management, although I recognize that this topic does very little to help that particular confusion. Our clients are really uh, companies with a lot of equipment, machinery, and infrastructure, so manufacturers, utilities, and other asset-dependent service providers. The services that we provide include asset management strategy and planning, information management systems, helping companies to align operations and finance, such as what we'll talk about today, uh, as well as a plethora of educational courses and coaching. I am also very active on social media. I try to contribute positively to the community. So my articles are posted on my website and also on social media. And I, for one, greatly appreciate how freely you share your your trainings and other materials, Suzanne. It's wonderful. There is so much material on your website, and we'll, we'll obviously share that with our audience at the end. So I know that you've got a full presentation ready for us, and uh, do you want to introduce this first topic? Absolutely. So we're going to be talking about uh, how far Why don't we forward right ahead to the poll? and uh, we'll see where our audience is sitting vis-a-vis -vis, uh, financial and operation functions. Okay. Okay, if you all are familiar with Fluke webinars, you know that we try to ask you a couple of polls during the webinar to gauge, since we're remote, you're familiar with the topic and the kind of interest points you have for our presenters. So I'm going to launch this poll right now and you're going to have the opportunity to select your thoughts on the collaboration between finance and operations at your company. Do you think that the collaboration is excellent, good, fair or little to none? And uh, we'd like you to select just one um, and give it your best bet because obviously you know there's a whole range in there. But remember that the, the purpose in doing that is to help Suzanne understand where you are at and your reason for being here today. So I see we have about 64% of folks who voted. Go ahead and click whichever one is makes the most sense for where you're at. The collaboration between finance and operations at your company. All right, we have 70% of our votes in. So I'm going to close and share the results. So Suzanne, we've got 53% at fair, but could be improved. We've got a nice 29% at good, 8% at excellent, and 11% at little or none. What do you think about those results? All right, so it's good to see that uh, so many people are good to excellent. Um, and it's also good to recognize where you think it could be improved. Uh, this is good because this is what we're gonna be talking about. So hopefully at the end of today's presentation, then you will get some more tips about how to improve this collaboration. Wonderful. Well, with that, I'm going to give control of the slides to you and you can take it away. All right. All right. So as we get into this, I just want everybody to remember this is not a financial management course. This is not going to help you to become an accountant. What we're really focusing on is what information needs to pass between operations and finance and also to make everybody know that I am not a finance guy 
and I'm not the finance guy in your company. So your company finance team will have a lot to say about what happens there. So let's start by talking about the role of asset management. Uh, you know, in electrical engineering, there is that formula that is the overarching principle, B equals IR. Well, it is the same thing in asset management. What, asset, what the overriding principle of asset management is, is that balance of performance, risks, and costs. And we're talking about the cost to both deliver performance, but also the cost to treat risks. I also want to balance that against what the role of the CFO is and the finance department in the company. So clearly they have to fund the company. They're responsible as well for profitability and cash flow, the business and investment strategy, compliance and control, external reporting, and of course, financial analysis and planning. So as you can see, your interactions with, with the assets will take you into uh, interfacing with your CFO and your finance department from time to time. So let's look at a few places where that will happen. So of course, if you have decision-making processes, and here we're talking about things like CapEx budgeting, investment prioritization, repair and repair processes, you are going to interface with your finance team. They're also going to be interested in your asset information management to make sure that you have good cost tracking, traceability of information, and good quality information in general. And then uh, financial controls and compliance. So budget compliance approval limits. Usually I get to understand financial controls right about when I try to do something and they tell me no. So that's when you usually run into the controls and compliance aspect. And of course, long-term investment planning is one of the most important collaborations that need to happen between operations and finance. This is, this is very, very important. So it includes your long-term capital and operational planning. It includes your asset replacement strategy, but also your financial projections for all of these activities. So I set out to understand what it is about what I was doing as an operational person that was really stressing finance and not helping the business overall. So I set out to find a CFO a few years ago, and you wouldn't believe where I found one. Found him on a train bound for nowhere. Both of us on the train, we were both too tired to sleep. We took turns looking out the window. The boredom overtook us. So then he started to talk. He said, Suzanne, I'll tell you everything I know if you give me your whiskey <laughs> and of course your cigarettes. Sounded kind of iffy, but I'm a sucker for learning. So I pounded it up and this is what he said. Then I have to fund your activities and make sure bills are paid. Remember, all risks are financial. So plan with that in mind. Inventory, tax, cash flow, and you lie to my parts. You got to know when to expense. Know when to capitalize. Align your asset registry with the fixed register. You can't retire your assets without telling us. I could claim more insurance and warranty if you only kept good records. 
So that's what he said. So then we decided to break it down. So let's look at the four operational stressors for finance. The first one is asset activities, and I'm going to go into each of these uh, one by one. The next one is inventory activities. The third one is asset information. And the fourth one is how we behave in general, particularly around costs. So let's look at the first one. The main part about the stress and, and the complexity is really how asset activities become financial risks. So what we've noticed is that in general, there is insufficient long-term investment planning in businesses. So the issue is, if you think about your decisions as, as investments, so buying parts, repair or replace, these are all investment decisions. You know, what, what are we concerned about? In the words of one CFO, are we making the right investments in the right assets, but also in the right sequence? So are we investing in assets that should have been retired that's gonna leave us with stranded assets? You know, should we be investing in other technologies and ways of doing things? In addition to that, we want to be in a position to confirm if the investment is delivering. So whether we get into after guarantees, after warranty, did this investment really work out? Did we get the returns that we were anticipating? But more fundamental to that, was the project completed on time, on cost and on spec? And what can we learn from all of that? The other big risk about the assets, of course, is what we call aging assets. So the main concern is, are we 10 steps away from a catastrophic failure that's gonna cost us half a million dollars? Or do we have time to plan? Can we mitigate this over a number of years? So in general, the risk is that there is a low visibility of the risk surrounding the condition of critical assets in the business. And here I wanna pause just to mention that when we say aging assets, what we actually mean is not the, the calendar age of the assets, but assets that are in poor condition awaiting maintenance or intervention to deliver its service. The second one is inventory activities. We always have to bear in mind that inventory ties up cash flow. So for every dollar that we have sitting on the shelf, that is a dollar that cannot pay bills. It can't pay vendors, it can't pay workers. So inventory sits in something called current assets on the balance sheet. But the fact is, as you all know in your organization, it can't be easily converted back to cash. And in particularly, not the cash that you paid for it. So be careful when, when you're buying inventory. The most effective use of inventory and the best value that inventory can deliver is when inventory is matched to the work management processes through your maintenance planning process. Because other than that, you end up with a lack of movement, which then gives you dead stock obsolescence. Worse than that, you have stockouts uh, when you run out of critical parts. And as we know, emergencies are so expensive. So while we don't want bloated inventory, 
we also want to make sure that we have the critical part. And then of course, what's happening now, a lot of supply chains are disrupted. You could lose supplies. And if you think about, you know, an ultimate black swan risk event is playing out right in front of us now with the coronavirus. The third stressor is how we deal with asset information. And in general, we're saying there's just insufficient data in the business to run the business and make good decisions. So we have a lot of companies, sadly, still don't have good asset registers, still don't have good condition data. And then the reality is when we do have condition data, it is siloed from performance data. So we don't have the full picture of what the assets are doing. And then the condition data doesn't also become risk and financial information. On a more tactical level as well, we run into the lack, we run into a lack of integration between CMMS and ERPs in a lot of companies and a lack of alignment as well between the fixed asset register and the technical asset registry. The fourth stressor is high risk behavior. And at the top of the list, I put anything you still do on a spreadsheet. So not that you can't use a spreadsheet. Spreadsheets are incredibly powerful for analysis, but if you're aiming to manage your assets and your asset activities on spreadsheet, then that's not very effective. So when we look at internal controls, accountability, collaboration, what we're really talking about is the organizational culture and whether the culture itself can sustain sound controls as well as the behaviors that can deliver value from the assets. Because as we know, there are lots of behaviors in organizations that can detract from the asset delivering value. So generally we're seeing in this list as well, lack of awareness of asset costs, which is the cost to deliver the performance, what is the maintenance cost, uh, all of those costs, costs related to specific activities as well, and awareness of how those activities then become financial information. So how do we achieve this alignment with finance? Let's talk about that. I have six suggestions as to how we could achieve this alignment. So the first one is understanding the financial treatment of assets over their life cycles. Second, long-term investment planning. Cannot stress this one enough. The third one is invest in asset information management, sound inventory management practices, Communicate using performance cost risk. So technical people have to become bilingual. It is a lot easier for us to become bilingual in that we have to speak technical speak, but we also have to speak business speak. And then of course, communicate asset risks promptly. So as we go along, bear in mind that asset management is a risk-based approach. So you're gonna hear me talk about risk and risk-based approaches a lot, because in the final analysis, what we have is risks and performance. So let's explore these six ways. So the first one is how are assets treated financially over their life cycle? And here 
we're going to look at two key financial processes that you will meet as you move across the assets life cycle and it will also bring you into into interaction with your cfo and your finance department so these two are capitalization and depreciation <clears throat> so both capitalization and depreciation are what we call non-cash transaction have no fair relax you have already spent the money your cash flow statement will tell you that you spent it already it's not about that what we are talking about is how and when the transaction is recognized so capitalization is expense in the value of the asset over its useful life what we mean by that transferring it bit by bit from the income statement to the balance sheet depreciation on the other hand allows you to recognize a loss in value so if you think about this you buy an asset and at the end of 20 years it is not expected to have the same value as it did when it was new that would not be a financially realistic expectation so what depreciation allows is for that value to be diminished increment by increment over a set period of time so capital assets are usually subject to depreciation let me take an exception from that except land land is usually not a depreciable asset however the things that you do to the land could be depreciable so if you dig a well on the land or if you put a building on it then those are depreciable assets but not the land itself uh, amortization is another term that you'll come across it's another term for depreciation but when it is applied to intangible assets such as goodwill and certain types of organizational expenses so three things you need to know about capitalization and depreciation. First one is relax. You're not the one doing it. Your company has talented accounting professionals to do that. What you are doing is providing information. Some of the information that you need to provide would include estimated useful life or service life of the asset, service start date, so when did the asset go into service, and of course the status of the asset uh, the second thing that you need to remember about capitalization and depreciation is that the finance team follows international accounting and financial standards such as ifris gap PSAP. again the third thing your company on top of the international standards may also have internal standards such as you might find a tangible asset guide in your company or a capitalization policy that will have things like a capitalization threshold because not every single asset that you are buying will be eligible for capitalization. They look at something called materiality, so it must cross a threshold to be included. So let's look now across the assets lifecycle to see. When you acquire the assets so during that procurement process, we have new capitalization activities starting. Uh, you could be capitalizing direct internal labor costs, direct labor overhead costs, material use, vendor costs. Now, a lot of this also depends on whether your company is a private, uh, private sector company or whether it's a, it's a public sector such as municipality. So some of these processes may be different. However, at the time of asset acquisition, then we also begin to track asset retirement obligation 
And of course, if you have existing assets, then you could be doing capital improvements to them, which would also start another capitalization process. The operate and maintain phase is the longest phase of the asset's life cycle. It is when the asset begins its service life. So then depreciation begins at this point. Then because you're operating and maintaining the asset, you're running across operational expenditure. That happens there as well, plus other things like amortization. At the end of the asset's service life, then depreciation, amortization, capitalization, all of those things must come to an end, okay? And of course, asset retirement obligation liability will end at this point. So this is very important to understand because then we'll talk about some of these activities. So depreciation, uh, again, starts when the asset goes into service, but it also ends at the end of a fixed depreciation period or at the end of the service life, whichever is shorter. So you could have a fixed, you will have a fixed depreciation uh, period assigned to the asset by finance during the, the procurement stage. And at the end of that process, then depreciation will end. However, if the asset is prematurely retired before that, depreciation also has to end. <clears throat> so at the end of, of, during the retirement process, at the end of the asset service life, then you're, if you're in private sector in particular, your accounting team will do something called true up where they look at the, the, true, the actual cost of the asset versus the accumulated ARO liability and they'll do a true up there and split the difference. So along with, with that, two related concepts to understand are what are capital expenditure and operational expenditure. So again, for CAPEX, the accountants will look for something called materiality. But what, what can we capitalize? Things that provide multi-year benefit. So we're talking about new equipment, but also the cost to prepare um, th those equipment for service, such as your installation, commissioning costs, contractor bills, even internal labor can be capitalized. However, you have to know the rules. That's why you have the, the accountants who know the rules in your organization, because under general circumstances, labor by itself cannot be capitalized. So you can't hire somebody and capitalize their labor. However, labor associated with installing and commissioning a new piece of equipment can be capitalized. So if you're acquiring new assets or adding value to existing assets, then you can capitalize. What we look for is multi-year benefit. So if you install the asset, you can use it over and over for many years to come. That capital asset is then subject to depreciation over a fixed depreciation period. On the OPEX side, operating operational expenditure are your routine expenses such as wages, electricity, fuel, insurance. Uh, things that you do to the asset to maintain the value, such as services and parts. And another exception to draw here would be something called strategic spares. So you have some companies, such as a large utility, may keep spare uh, transformers. These are fairly big assets uh, as spares uh, because several communities might, might use them. Several substations use the same transformer. 
and that transformer takes uh, anywhere from nine months to 12 months to manufacture. So then they might have uh, these, these uh, transformers as, as spares. So those are treated a little bit differently. So you definitely want to interface with, uh, with your finance team about how strategic spares are treated usually as assets. So what we say about operational expenditures is that they're usually consumed in a single event. In other words, if you work on the equipment, we can't take the labor that you put into the equipment and put it onto another piece of equipment. It has been consumed. Uh, if you put a bearing into a pump, uh, run it for a year, we can't take the bearing out of that pump and put it into another pump. Not usually, it has been consumed. So we say things like spare parts are operational expenditure. So then what are the actual concerns with depreciation and capital capitalization? First and foremost, again, because you're not doing it, what we're talking about is how you can provide information to help the process. So concerns with depreciation would be retiring assets with book value. And it's not that you can't do it, it's just understanding the financial impact of it, which is that the value has to be written off, possibly impacting your profitability. The other concern is depreciating assets that have been retired or taken out of service. And this breaks financial rules. That's why you can't do it. So uh, remember when we looked at the assets life cycle and the depreciation uh, events, one of the things that we saw was that at retirement, uh, depreciation must end. Also related asset retirement obligation tracking must come to an end when the asset is retired. As it relates to capitalization, two concerns would be if, an, if, a, if a cost or a transaction is incorrectly expensed, then the net income for that period will be lower than it otherwise should be, which means that you will pay lower taxes in the current period, which means that the government is not going to be happy because remember, they need to know these things for, for taxation reasons. If a cost is incorrectly capitalized, the net income for the period could be higher than it otherwise would be. So you'd pay more taxes hurting your own self. In addition, on your balance sheet, you may have a situation where you're overstating leading to impairment. So with that, let's pause again and go to poll number two to gauge our experience with these processes. Absolutely. Why don't you, there we go. All right, this has been excellent and I'm taking lots of notes, thank you. I'm going to open up our second poll. Here we go. All right, so audience, have you been involved in any financial activities at your company? Just one answer. So pick the one that is the most relevant to you. Finance is above my pay grade, they only pay me to fix things. I know that they exist, but I have never had to be involved with finance. I regularly provide information to finance, or I both provide information and regularly work closely with finance. And again, as with the first poll, these are a little bit more hard lines than what normal life probably is. So just pick the one that is the most relevant to you. Have a moment to think about it. Uh, is there no involvement with finance? You guys are in completely separate parts of the organization, or you're aware of their role, but you're just not involved or you are providing information to them, or you work closely with them. We have about half the audience in who's voted. Give it another moment to think. 
and um, we'll then share the results with everyone. All right, I'm going to close out the poll in about five seconds and I'm going to share the results. All right, good. I'm very glad to see that only 2% are in the no way category. We have about 26% of folks who are, you know, in the awareness zone, but not actively involved. I love that 43% are actively sharing information and 29% are working closely. Suzanne, this is great. This is excellent. I, I feel like I'm preaching to the choir here. This is very good. <laughs> Very, very good. All right, I'm going to hide these results. We can refer back to them later if we want to um, and give you back control. Thank you. All right, so the second way to, to get a good collaboration between operations and finance is around long-term investment planning. And so this is another risk-based approach. So we have to remember um, our assets have really long service life. And a lot of people understand long-term in many ways, but I would say at a minimum, you should have a 10 to 15 year, year maintenance and capital plan for your assets, as well as the accompanying financial projections. But again, this is something that your senior management team will determine what the actual number is, and it's based on your industry, it's based on your company, it's based on your assets and your stakeholders, etc. In my experience, less than 10 years create, creates um, a lot of gaps that gives false hope because remember on average we're talking about um, assets that last 30 to 50 years so you'll miss kind of critical events if you don't look across a long enough time period however i found and, and other people may have different experiences but more than 15 years i found just to be a mathematical extrapolation and uh, and it's not extremely useful for me because the number of assumptions increase drastically beyond that. So what we're really talking about is having a long-term vision for the company beyond the day-to-day -day spending and, and future-proofing the organization. That, that's what we're really talking about. The third one is to invest in asset information management. And here I'm not going to speak about everything that goes into asset information management, but specifically I'm going to address two processes that rely heavily on asset information. One of them is asset cost tracking and the other one is asset valuation. So asset cost tracking is required for financial analysis and planning of the business, as well as for cash flow management. We know cash flow is very, very important. You, you can have situations where the company makes a profit but actually has no cash in it. Just ask me, I'm now a small business owner, so you could ask me about cash. Um, how do we achieve asset cost tracking? We achieve it through asset information management. Through, first and foremost, your asset registry. Having a good asset registry with all the assets accounted for a good hierarchy to roll up cost and activities and to give you takeoff points for the fixed asset register and also to provide classification of the assets to the fixed asset register. If you use something like ISO 14224 as the basis for your classification system, then you want to remember that the, your asset class 
will not be the same as the classes for the fixed asset register. You might need to back it up to the asset class type to be able to provide uh, the classes and useful life to them. Good work management allows good cost accrual. So you have to remember that the way that activities and costs accrue to the asset is largely through the work management system. So therefore you need good governance around the work orders. Here we're talking about one work order, one job. Enforce that. Closing off of work orders when the job is finished. Remember that the costs don't accrue if the tasks and the, and the work order itself stays open. And along those lines, I would say, avoid the thing called the blanket work order, like the coronavirus. People like blanket work orders that they open in January and don't close it until December. Those don't allow you to accrue the cost to individual assets very effectively. Have good standards for information in the business. And here we're talking about internal organizational standards, because this will help you to define what the quality of the information is going to be. So standards around your hierarchy, your template with the, with the related standards around asset classification, around criticality. There are tons of standards that you should have in your organization. And finally, select information systems that have, that have the, the facilities that you need, the applications that you need, but also try to avoid buying more than what you need. So look carefully at what you need, assess what you need, develop the rules for your information so that when you go to interface with the system, the system has a set of rules that it will use to be, to be of value to you. When you have your system, have good rules around access, modification, ownership of information, and how reports are to be generated. Remember that the system itself is an asset. It should be recorded as an asset in your technical asset registry. Uh, the information and data that it contains are also assets. So don't let anyone bypass your management system, but also the information system as well. Asset valuation and reporting obligations are required because businesses must report fixed asset, um, fixed capital assets in their financial statement. So one of the main functions of the C CFO is external reporting. And external reporting requires good information within the business, but also traceability of that information. And by traceability, we mean that you should be able to trace information back to the source. So if you have a pump that you've bought, we should be able to see purchase order. We should be able to, to see installation and commission and information. We should be able to see operational information for that. So the information on the assets must be traceable to a source. So we're required to report by law, the organization is, and to various stakeholders as well. So the government wants to know what your fixed uh, capital asset is or your tangible capital asset is for taxation reasons. That's the number one reason. Uh, you may also be eligible for grants and then the government government might want to have bragging rights to say that they, they were able to attract this level of investment into the country or into the city. And of course, to evaluate the importance of your company to the economy. The shareholders and investors are the owners of the company, so they want to know that their investment has value. 
regulators want to be able to evaluate the effectiveness of management's action in protecting customers, uh, particularly in mon monopolistic uh, environments, and they will want to determine whether uh, rate increases should be approved. Your insurers, of course, are, are interested in the replacement value of the asset. And just know, as I mentioned before, how assets are valued, uh, all of those valuation processes are bounded by financial standards such as IFRS, GAAP, and PSAP. This brings me to the two types of asset registers that organizations keep. It's a necessary evil, don't panic, we have to have them both. So they are the technical asset registry and the fixed asset register. So the technical asset register is used for managing and controlling the assets by maintenance, operations, engineering, supply chain, etc. While the fixed asset register is used for valuation, depreciation, taxation, and financial reporting. What this means is that the fixed asset register is in fact the official register of the organization because that is the one that is used externally. <clears throat> For, for things, for assets and activities to be included on the fixed asset register, it must meet the materiality level or the, the capitalization threshold that we mentioned. Uh, whereas on your technical asset register, you might have a rule to define managed assets and then each managed asset is recognized. So they're not the same thing. The, the fixed asset register usually sits in the ERP or some other um, software that finance uses, and the technical asset registry sits in the CMMS. The fixed asset register is, of course, owned by finance. That's what they use to do taxation, depreciation, and external reporting, while the technical asset registry could be owned by asset management or maintenance management. However, the fixed asset register does require some information from the technical asset registry, uh, and it's a one-way street. Uh, so here we're talking about asset classes, useful life, takeoff points. So the asset classes, as, the fixed, as far as the fixed register is concerned, are really groups of assets that tend to have the same useful or service life. Again, if you use a standard such as ISO 14224, you want to make sure that you are taken off from the right level to provide information to the finance team. If the asset is complex with major components that have varying useful life, then financial standards such as IFRS may require that they also be put into different classes. So I've been asked by a CFO before in, in my career to break up a diesel engine into its major components all their useful lives and the estimated percent of total cost. So you may have to provide that kind of information to your finance uh, department. Then you also have to provide takeoff points from the asset hierarchy uh, to the fixed asset register. So while the fixed asset register and the, and the asset hierarchy and the technical asset register are not the same thing, they don't carry the same information, they also don't look the same, there needs to be some level of vertical and horizontal alignment. And this is largely for you as well as for them. But when you do a new project, you need to be able to say where that sits on the hierarchy and the 
and and then in relation to that where it should be and what what the useful life should be on in the fixed asset register the other thing that needs to be provided is asset status so it's not that finance wants you to come down and regularly review the fixed asset register what they want is information particularly around changes related to the asset status so whether the asset is is in service or retired and there are three ways kind of to retire an asset you can dispose of it throw it in the bin you can mothball it for emergencies or redeploy it to another part of the business in all of those cases the the treatment is different the financial treatment is different so you want to report that as it relates to inventory bear in mind that inventory requires a management system to give it to make sure you have good master data good classification um, you need good controls around inventory and you need to have a centralized system even if you have satellite stores so you can have oversight of all the buying that is happening and good processes to link inventory cost to uh, to work management to allow for cost tracking the fifth thing is to make sure that you communicate using performance cost and risk so remember that cost as an item cannot be controlled. You can only control cost drivers and then the activities that create costs. So we know that we cannot control costs through budgetary restrictions. We've tried that over the years and what we ended up with was uh, all the assets that we now have that are in poor condition with, not in, with insufficient money to be able to to do the correct maintenance because of the historic maintenance backlog, but also historic capital improvement backlog. So we want to move past the traditional heat map and quantify risks in terms of dollars so that we can communicate effectively in the business. We also want to communicate asset risk, risks promptly. So what we're looking for here is an understanding of risk that is common to both the business side and the operational side. So what we are talking about is a, a common risk register that takes both the business drivers into consideration and the asset drivers. So business drivers, we're talking about output contribution, we're talking about safety, environmental cost of repair, that kind of thing. And if you did a good job with your criticality assessment, then you should have some of those built in already. The asset drivers we're talking about are things like condition and failure rate. So we wanna make sure that the asset uh, register that we eventually co collaborate with finance to come up with uh, considers both sides of the business. Wanna make sure as well that we keep a defect elimination sheet handy so that we can know who the bad actors are. Bear in mind that asset retirements will trigger the end of some financial activities such as depreciation and it will have some reporting burdens as well. So communicate that well, develop your business processes to move information so that this communication is consistent, objective and, and is preserved for future review and as well that traceability is improved. At the end of the day, remember all risks are financial risks. So in conclusion, we want you to know your cost drivers. We're not talking about becoming armchair accountants, but understand that operational activities do have a financial impact because there are no net neutral asset management activities. 
you already have all the expertise and the information about the assets. What we need to do is to make it relevant to the financial side of the business. Remember to explain why we should spend money in terms of the risk to the business, cost to deliver incremental performances, but also cost to mitigate risks. Again, develop your business processes to move information. That's what we're talking about. When we talk about uh, companies being siloed, it's really the business processes and information that are siloed. You need a good asset registry. The asset registry is like the assets birth certificate. It contains key pieces of information. So develop a good one and use it well. Long-term investment planning is the key to the financial, the, well, let's say the long-term financial health of the organization. There are lots of things that you can do to show short-term financial health, but what we are talking about, because our assets have to live so long, we are talking about long-term financial health of the business. Remember that year-on-year -year budgeting leaves a lot of gaps in the assets life cycle, so think about risks and move to long-term asset planning. And I really hope in some small way that this information helps you to understand a bit more about what finance needs from you and puts you in a position to collaborate more effectively. If you do want to hear some more about all of this, I do have an online course coming up on April 27th. It's called Essentials of Asset Management and ISO 55000. Uh, and uh, this is a well-developed course. We've been doing it for a little while and uh, it, it's available if anybody would like to register. So go find your CFO and don't give them a hug. Remember your personal distance. And I would like to say in closing to all my colleagues, thank you so much for your kind attention. Thank you very much, Suzanne. That was fantastic. I could hear a lot of very hard listening happening. And uh, we, we just got a, a comment in saying, connected many dots, well done, which is exactly my sentiment. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So everyone, I want you to feel free to write down the information you see here, both Suzanne's email address and her website. There is tons of information on her website. You are welcome to contact her directly. And at the end of this, please don't log out of the, of the webinar, don't close out immediately because a survey will pop up. And if you answer the survey, that will trigger a, a copy of these presentations to be sent to you, okay? And also again, the full recording of this webinar will be available up on the excelx.com website within a day or two. But we have a few minutes left now, and what I really want to do is get as many questions into Suzanne as possible. So everyone find the questions tool on your dashboard and type in any questions you have for Suzanne, we'll get them done uh, right away. So I'm gonna start with a couple that are in there. Um, again, I mentioned the hard listing that I could hear. Could you go back to the conclusion page? Because I think a lot of them could be summarized with the where do I start, right? Mm -hmm. So where do you advise that people start? Assuming we know from our, our poll that most people who are listening to us today are already somewhat involved and already thinking about this, right? right. So what's their, what's their best next step? So a few things. I would say, first and foremost, if you haven't been in regular contact with your finance department and with your CFO, just to have that conversation 
about how they're treating with with the assets what are they looking for they're they're monitoring certain metrics for the business they they might say uh cut off spending a little bit um, in this month because we're looking at funds that we need to have in the business. And some of these things are required by standards, but also required by law. The most important thing I find with collaboration, we're not talking about uh, holding hands and singing Kumbaya. There's a part <laughs> of your job that you do need to do really well, especially yeah. as it relates to the information. So you might want to start looking now into your information systems to see if your information allows you, for example, your asset hierarchy and so on, allows you to roll costs up. Do you have any gaps around controls, um, around, like, say, the use of P-cards? Do we have uh, ways to circumvent uh, the, the oversight of the finance team by breaking up big purchases into small purchases so that people can buy it on their P-cards? and then missing out on, on, on discounts and stuff that we would mm -hmm. see. The other key part is to involve, uh, which that is like they kind of sit really close to finance in a lot of companies, they report into finance, is supply chain. So a lot of times things are not happening, it's because there is a supply chain risk or a supply chain activity. So you do wanna start to have that frank conversation. The, the long and short of it is that it is going to come down to most people are going to say, if you plan your activities well, then we can support it because we know what is coming. So we're not asking you to look down into the future blindly, but to start to plan your activities. If you are acquiring a new asset, that is the time to plan the 15 year of maintenance because you get all that information from from the from the suppliers you may have ex other experience with the asset so plan your activities over the longest period possible and you won't get it perfect in one shot maybe you start this as a five-year plan then maybe you can extend it and extend it but the important thing is to start to think long term and start to think about risk and start as an individual to see everything in terms of cost that that's what i'd say yep and and tax the word tax came up a lot <laughs> yes yes so so the finance pays taxes and it, it was eye-opening for me when i found out that companies pay property tax on 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 the size of their um capitalization yeah the way that I would pay property yeah. tax on my house. So I'm now a person that never dreams of having a big house. I, I, I dream of having a smaller and smaller house to pay less and less taxes. But taxes, you can't get away from. The company has to pay its taxes and it's based on the numbers that are provided and reported. So you do wanna make sure that you are the, the parts of it that you control because you don't control every part of it but you control things like you know if an asset has failed catastrophically and won't go back into service it is to report that and report it in a way that it could make sense to finance so that they can apply the appropriate treatment uh, if an asset has been taken out of service and is gonna be mothball there is a kind of there is one financial treatment that's associated with that and your ongoing maintenance costs. So when you think about your maintenance costs, you have to include those assets as uh -huh. well. And There's so you actually have to... a question related to that. Um, someone asked about leased equipment. Can 
you still capitalize, should you, can you still capitalize and depreciate leased equipment and what aspects then would be CapEx or OpEx? Aha, uh -huh. that's a very interesting question. Uh, I'd have to get back to you on the mm. on the lease part of it, uh, how much of it you you capitalize. Um, however, all the all the OPEX part of it, because leasing is a is a is a specific kind of activity. Uh -huh. You're already um, paying small amounts already for it. So uh -huh. where that sits financially, um, I'd have to get more guidance on that. But the activities that you do to it once it's been put into service, those would all be OPEX. Okay, fair enough. Um, the the other another question that just came in that um, uh, is very relevant. Um, assuming we get our communication going and assuming that we are logging everything, how then do we convince management that we need more staff? Well, that that is a tough one. Um, <laughs> but uh, that has to be activity driven. Mm -hmm. So uh, activity is one when you can demonstrate that the assets actually need this amount of activity to be done to it. And then what I would do on top of that is demonstrate the risks to the business using that common risk risk understanding that I was talking about. Mm -hmm. So the risk to the business if these activities are not done and once you have that then you can put a cost to it you see what the business side of the company understands really well is financial risks and cost so if uh -huh. you can get everything down to say if we don't do these activities because we don't have the people to do it and haven't i'd like to put that in terms of resources as a matter of fact because right. You, you don't have to have the people in the company. It could be a decision. It might be more cost effective to have the resources outside of the company. But right. the fact is resources are needed to do these types of activities. If we don't do these types of activities, here are the risks to the business. If this asset fails catastrophically, here, here's what the cost could look like when that happens. A, we lose x amount of production b uh we may not have the the parts so then we have downtime we have idle time of operations we have um idle time of maintenance uh c when we get it we're gonna have to fly it in so it's gonna cost this amount of money uh -huh. our supply chain might be compromised for the next few months because these parts come from this supplier which is located in this part of the world and all you do uh I don't want to say all because it's sometimes not as simple, but then you put a cost to every single step of that and add it up. And you uh -huh. will actually see that sometimes, uh, oftentimes the risks when quantified exceeds the value of the asset or the activity to mitigate the risk. I think that answered a couple of different questions in the queue actually, but uh, we have a lot of great questions coming in. Thank you everyone. Keep keep asking your questions. We won't get to all of them, but we will write back to you with more information from Suzanne. So so keep those questions coming. Um, I, I have a very specific question here about what if FAR and TAR don't align? And you have to give me a very short answer because we're almost out of time. Okay. 
So it, it won't align as being exactly the same, but the problem that you will have is that you'll keep having to say things manually. And the last thing that you want is inconsistent financial reporting to external right. stakeholders. Right. That's one of the big risks. Okay, all right. Okay, so once again, if you could forward, so everyone take down Suzanne's information and then a reminder, when I close out the webinar, there will be a slight gap and then a survey will appear. Please do answer the survey because that tells us how you, um, what you learned from today, what you'd like to learn next time, and then we will send you a copy of Suzanne's presentation. Then if you go to excelx.com and look for webinars in a day or two, you'll find a recording of this entire presentation up there. We would love for you to listen to it again. I know that I will because there was a lot of information. And we will also be posting follow-up articles about it on our website. So with that, I want to say a huge thank you to Suzanne. This was fantastic. I'm so glad you could be here today. Thank you, Leah. Definitely a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I am now going to close the webinar, and we will see you next time.